Radical Hope Radio. I'm Liz Feld, the CEO of Radical Hope. Radical Hope was founded back in 2018 by Pam and Phil Martin after they tragically lost their son, Chris, to suicide. He was a junior at Gonzaga University at the time and um, had been suffering on and off for a couple of years with um, feelings of emotional and social isolation. And Pam and Phil founded Radical Hope to help build resilience in young lives and to address some of the challenges that they saw that not only in Chris, but in many young adults his age. So our commitment is to help young people connect and engage and feel empowered and improve their overall mental wellness. And this radio show is a way for us to do that. We've been trying to reach people all across the country, all different ages, to talk about what's been on everybody's mind over the last several years, but a lot over the last year, and that is mental wellness. So today I'm particularly excited to be joined by a partner of ours, uh, the leader of Bring Change to Mind, which is one of the organizations that um, Radical Hope reached out to right from the beginning. Um, they are committed to ending the stigma and discrimination surrounding men mental illness. And their leader, Pamela Harrington, is here with us today, as well as Brooke Smith, who is a Bring Change to Mind student leader at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont. So welcome to Pamela and Brooke. How are you guys? Good. Good. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for everything you've done. You know, Pamela, you have been so generous to me and to our organization over the last couple of years as as we were launching and really getting our feet wet and doing a landscape survey of, of the kinds of programs that are um, operating both in schools and in communities across the country. So um, really you've been a, a beacon of light for us because you've been leading an organization that has made a dramatic difference in the lives of so many young people. So thank you for that. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners you know, how you got to bring change to mind and what you're focused on right now. And then we can move on to Brooke and see what's going on at the school level. Sure. Thank you. Um, I love the opportunity to talk about bring change to mind. So I appreciate you bringing our story and our mission and our goals to your, to your listeners. Um, I have been with bring change to mind for almost 10 years, the, almost the entire lifespan, uh, lifespan of the organization. Uh, Bring Change Mind was founded in 2010 by um, the actress and, and advocate um, Glenn Close. And she came to starting this organization after her family was really struggling um, with mental health issues over the years. And at the time, no one was really talking about mental health. Um, so she gathered together all of the leaders in the mental health space, but this was back in 2008, and asked who was looking at stigma. And very few organizations had taken on stigma as a primary mission. So we assembled um, all of the, the scientists in this space that are looking at uh, measured ways that we can reduce stigma, um, increase empathy and compassion, and just normalize conversations around mental health. So we started the organization, as I said, in 2010, and just started doing broad-based messaging, uh, public service announcements, essentially. And we've done eight of these um, 
PSAs that you might have seen um, on various television networks or cable networks, um, online, print, radio. And as we were developing all of this message um, around how to start a conversation around mental health, how do you recognize if you yourself are struggling? How do you ask for help? How do you support a loved one or a peer? Um, we started looking at where we could make the most effective change. And what we've learned is stigma is learned behavior. So we learn um, this shame and silence from older generations. So we just wanted to really look at how we could make, how we could tip this as much as possible and really change this for generations coming up. And we saw that, you know, to, to focus on teens and in high school was really where we needed to put our focus. So Bring Change to Mind is uh, the last five years uh, really looked at uh, championing, championing young people across the country to become advocates for mental health. And, um, and that's how we came together with you. And we're so excited uh, to tell you more about the program and some of the offerings of our organization. Well, you know, gosh, there's so much we can um, dig deeper into what you just said, a couple things, but let me just start before we get on to Brooke with one really critical point. And this is actually how we ultimately ended up formalizing our partnership with you. I mean, your commitment uh, to providing evidence-based content and to measuring outcomes and to really taking a hard look at what does work and what doesn't work really makes you a standout organization. And, and as you know, we're very committed to the same standards. Uh, and we developed a, um, a an assessment tool called the Standards of Excellence to help us refine how we approach investing in programs, but also to help us, at, you know, the whole sector really you really sort of look with a scorecard and evaluate, you know, what programs are, are governed well, what programs um, are sticking, you know, have mission discipline, which ones have um, long-term financial stability and sustainability. And you participated in one of our, you know, in sort of in one of our betas to see, you know, how we could actually refine the tool itself. And, you know, there was no surprise to us, but, you know, it was it, everything you've done bore out, you know, in our research and doing our diligence around around bring change to mind that you've just the reason you're succeeding is because you 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 hold yourselves to that standard it's outstanding and we always we want it we always want our donors as i know you do to know that we evaluate every single dollar that we spend and every single life we're going to touch you know the way we're going to touch them so just you know just for all of our listeners to know that um bring change to mind is past with flying colors every single metric that we use to um to evaluate a good program so on that note let me shift to, to brooke for a little bit here brooke um welcome again and thank you for being here and i i would love to start with you actually um uh, with the question that uh, pamela just raised or a point that she raised about stigma being learned behavior because I think we all know, and we know this from other behaviors from adults um, that you know Right, children learn what they live, and I think when if you can, we can get to the younger folks and teach them to talk about mental health more openly. Maybe they can actually help educate the adults. And so, I'd love to hear what you're doing at school and, and how you're you're approaching all of this. Yeah, um, of course. Um, 
So my upbringing changed to mind at my school, uh, started my sophomore year. And, you know, really it started with a close friend of mine who was struggling with mental illness um, all throughout their middle school and into high school. And she really wanted to make a change. Um, And I also kind of had a personal experience with a friend um, struggling as well. And I didn't really know what to do because we didn't have enough education around that, you know, throughout my education. And so, you know, I got involved in Bring Change to Mind, and, you know, we've really had an incredible response, actually. I think it has really opened up conversation, um, you know, created a space for students to feel comfortable and feel open. You know, we've done just a lot of work around educating, um, you know, not only students, but faculty at our school as well. You know, we've presented to teachers during their training, um, provided tips for you know, how to integrate mental health into the classroom, be there for students. Um, We also present to freshmen every year, you know, on topics ranging from depression and anxiety, how to help a friend, self-care, treatment. Um, We, you know, Bring Change to Mind nationally has their Bring Change to Mind week. So we've done that at um, our school every year. And that's really been awesome. Um, Yeah, we've done a lot of different things. So, and we have meetings every single week as well and have a good amount of members come and, you know, just have conversations. So, so Brooke, was there a, uh, was it a difficult process for you to get the faculty and the school administration to support bringing, bring change to mind to your school? I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, for people who will listen to this and people we talk to who ask how they can start a club, uh, what, what, what would you tell them? You know, I, you know, I um, I don't think that it was that difficult, just specifically at my school, just to start the club. I mean, you have to basically have an advisor, um, and that's, you know, pretty much it. I think some schools are harder. I would say for some other things, like, I really wanted to have a speaker come to our school, and that was, um, that was hard. Like, I had to kind of do a lot of work to have that come and talk to the administration, um, and that was... Um, you know, not great that they would push back on it. But in terms of having the club start at our school, I don't think it was much pushback. We have a good amount of clubs already. Um, you just need an advisor. So, yeah. Well, and in our partnership, um, Pamela, maybe we'll get back to, to talk about what we're doing together and your commitment to to expansion. And also, I, I really love to hear from your perspective since you've been doing this now for, and you've actually been in the field for longer than 10 years, what you, you know, what big changes you've seen both for, for better and for worse, um, as far as both openness around talking about the issues, but also, you know, conversely the the need to do that because the statistics around anxiety and depression and, um, and suicide and, and substance use are so, are so uh, alarming. Yeah. So I've actually been in um, mental health nonprofit work for about 20 years. Um, I started um, in helping a family to start the Jed Foundation, um, and that was primarily to um, provide a safety net for college students, suicide prevention on, on college campuses. And that was back in 2000. And we had a really hard time getting people to, to focus on mental health, whether it be you know, the the campuses that we were outreaching to, um, administrations around universities, um, there really wasn't any public discourse around mental health. So it was hard to 
you know, walk into a, a corporation and ask for for contributions. Um, it was still looked upon as um, you know something that you just kept inside. You know, you you didn't really um, talk about mental health. It was typically the people that had had some kind of a struggle or crisis in their family that were willing to to work with us. Um, what it, so it was crickets for I would say a good. 15 years. In the last four years, I would say, everyone is looking at mental health as something that that affects all of us. I mean, we all have mental health. It's just like physical health. We all have mental health. And in any given day, any one of us can be someplace on that spectrum. We can be incredibly healthy. We could have, you know, a sleepless night that would add to stress and anxiety and depression. There are certainly more serious mental illnesses and chronic illnesses, but I think the world has changed remarkably with um, so many public figures that have come forward and talked about their own struggle. And these are people that are champions in sports or entertainment or uh, politics even these days. You know, people are really being um, just more open and conversant about how this is something that we all have to struggle with, um, especially in the last year with COVID and, and social unrest. I think we're all really being pushed um, to ensure that we are mentally healthy in order to get from day to day. So there's been remarkable change. Um, and I think this is um, a time where certainly, you know, in, in the advocacy space, you know, if we all just work together and collaborate, um, that we'll be able to make sure that, you know, so many different levels, whether it's policy and education, um, health systems, you know, that mental health really is um, on par with, with physical health going forward. Well, no, and, you know, your point about working together is, is such a critical one because, you know, in the broader nonprofit space, and certainly it's true in the work that we're doing um, or, or people are, or every organization, every foundation is chasing donor dollars or chasing corporate sponsors. They're trying to get mm -hmm. out, you know, on television to get it, draw attention to their, to their mission. They're all um, actually going after They often, they can feel like, or it can feel like it's a competitive environment as opposed to a, an environment of teamwork. And I, I think you're absolutely right. That the point here is that there is so much work to be done whether it's policy reform, more research, more programmatic uh, support at the local and school levels, um, and on and on, that we really have to find ways to partner. And I know that's the hallmark, certainly, of Bring Change to Mind, but it's also just the way you operate. And it's, it shows in, in the results that you've driven that you, you, seek, you seek out partners. Absolutely. You know, I, and I appreciate that call out. We cannot be all things to all people. Um, you know, we have chosen our niche of, you know, messaging and empowering teens. Um, we don't do direct service. We don't really do policy. Uh, you know, so those organizations that are specialists in particular aspects of mental health, you know, we want to work um, with as many organizations as possible to, to best, you know, uplift the communities that we work in. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I really want to talk to both of you about um, what role you think 
social media has played and continues to play, whether it's online bullying or this this whole idea that many young adults, but it's true of all of us, you know, tend to have two personas when it comes to social media, right? They have their real face that they live with every day with their families and, you know, when they're hunkered down at work and then they have their, their presence on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else that sometimes is quite contradictory, which can add a lot of stress to, um, you know, it's, it's sort of living an inauthentic life. And then on top of that, there's all the bullying that goes on online. So how how much of a factor do you think that is right now for people, even pre-COVID? Because this has been, you know, social media is often the scapegoat for mental health challenges, particularly with, the young, with young adults. And I guess, you know, I'll start with you, Brooke. I mean, do you think it's a big factor? Yeah, um, I definitely would say that social media in general, um, you know, is a big factor uh, around mental illness. I think that um, depending on the app, you know, it really, especially Instagram, you know, you people are posting pictures that displaying people's lives as perfect. Um, and, you know, that's because they're only posting the pictures that are, you know, their best photos or best moments. But that can be really hard as a teen, especially, you know, in a society, I feel like, you know, presenting perfection is kind of a a characteristic that I see. Um, and, you know, I think our society kind of favors presenting your perfect life or perfect self um, and not, you know, appreciating a person's character as much. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that does play a big role in mental illness, especially as teens and you get sucked into that attachment of your technology. Um, and especially in COVID times when it's somewhat isolating, not seeing friends, um, that can be difficult to just always on your devices. So, yeah. It is such a double-edged sword. Double-edged right. sword. There are so many beneficial aspects as well, just being mm -hmm. able to, to network with folks around the country. I know our high school clubs in, in California are talking to our clubs in Vermont or talking to, um, students that are involved in the program in Indiana and in Georgia. So, you know, there, there are beautiful ways that we've seen, um, you know, our, our, our students connecting with one another through social. Um, but I, I certainly um, fear that this reliance upon on looking at, you know, those perfection pictures can really, really harm someone that, that isn't in the best place mentally. No, you're so right. There, it is exactly this. Did you both happen to watch the Social Dilemma, the film? That's so frightening. Yeah. That was it's terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying. It's exactly what you just said, um, Pamela. You know, there's obviously so many benefits keeping people connected, particularly particularly at times like this. But that whole other piece of this, you know, presenting perfection online, so which makes people who are feeling remotely vulnerable, which are all of us, frankly, at one point or another, right, during the course of the day, um, feel even more isolated. It's just tragic. I'm, I'm always really heartbroken by how cruel people can be, young, particularly young folks, to each other on, on, on that. And do you talk about that a lot in the club, Brooke? I mean, what, what kind of content or discussions do you have um, with the Bring Change to Mind Club where you are and also you know, with just across the country at all the different, with all the, at all the different schools. Did you, is this a point of discussion a lot? You know, the more, like the more we talk about it now, I think it needs to be a lot of, you know, in our club, we kind of are talking, we're, you know, educating about 
you know, depression and anxiety and different things like that. And I think that even as like a club member, I'm sucked into it. We're all sucked into it. Um, so yeah, I do think that I, we need to talk about social media more. Um, and, you know, it's hard because even in the social dilemma, it's interesting hearing the, the creators of it. You know, they there's so many great aspects of it. Um, you know, even now when you can't see your friends as much and being able to communicate online, but at the same time, um, the disadvantages can be tough surrounding mental illness. So, yeah, I do think that we need to talk about that more. Pamela, can you talk um, a bit about what you see around the country? I mean, you started as a California-based organization, correct? And, and I'm just curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious, if, if there you see... Um, obviously there are patterns everywhere around behavior, but if there are some things that are uniquely um, difficult or challenging in certain parts of the country, and if you think culturally there are, there are areas that um, that are suffering more than others, and what, and what bring change to mind, how you focus on that or what you do about that? Yeah, when we started our research, um, we did a two-year pilot with um, the University of California, San Francisco, and University of California, Berkeley. And the schools that we first worked with, you know, they were urban, they were rural, they were charter, parochial, um, public, private. And we, we measured all of these students and their involvement with the club and their involvement with mental health in their community. And we thought we would see a lot of difference and we really didn't. So mm. I think, you know, that, that all of these communities, you know, as different as they may be, um, you know, regionally, culturally, everyone struggles. Everyone really does. Um, and I think that need for, for connection and hope and kindness and, and just really being open and honest and authentic um, is what ties everything together. Um, we certainly see different cultural stigmas um, in some of our Asian communities, certainly, um, in our BIPOC communities, which can also be a result of not having the resources, whether at their school or in their communities. So it's it's something that we are looking very um, deeply at right now. We just formed a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that is looking at, throughout our organization and throughout our all of our programming to ensure that you know we are reaching into communities that that might have some some deeply embedded stigma. Yes. Um, that we haven't yet tapped or understood. You know, um, there's no question about that. I, I worked for many years at Autism Speaks, and there were so many cultural barriers to access to care. And you know, autism is a um, it, it's a neuro it's a developmental disorder, but it's characterized you know by the DSM DSM. So it's a psychiatric condition at, clinically. And whether it was you know the Asian population, the Orthodox populations, certainly the um, African American communities. You know this. This it's shame still. It's often blame the mother, blame the wife, blame the family, blame someone. Oftentimes in families, the wives don't, the mothers don't even want to tell the fathers what's going. Father, the fathers were going on with the children because of all of this. It's, it's and you know here we've made so many advancements and we're a lot more open as you said than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago when you first started at Jed, and yet. We have a long way to go. There are certainly the religious factors, you know, that can tr come into play for families. It just will not talk about mental health. Yeah. And even, you know, gender, 
we had a hard time reaching men. We still have a hard time recruiting more boys into our clubs. So, you know, it's, there is so much work to do. Um, but I think we are making progress slowly, but surely we're making progress. Well, you know, that I, I agree with you. And, you know, you're such an optimist and you're also so determined. And so I do, you know, let's talk about our partnership because you've wanted to expand to the Northeast. And part of that's right, the demand for Bring Change to Mind is so great. So, um, I, you know, I'd love for you to share with everybody just the process, you know, how schools reach out to you and what you do and what it's, what's involved in actually being able to bring this kind of help and support to more places. Sure. So, as I mentioned, we started about five years ago um, here in Northern California. We then expanded to Southern California. And since then, we've, we're now in uh, six primary regions. And we ha always have a wait list of hundreds of schools that are looking to start a club in their, in their school or in their community. Um, we're thrilled with this partnership so that we are able to expand into the Northeast. And we've had a few clubs, um, Brooke, for instance, with her club in, in Champlain Valley, um, or Champlain Valley Union High School, um, that have been, you know, outside of our main regions. So the ability to now look at the Northeast and grow the number of clubs that we, we have, I think we're about 30 clubs right now, and we, we're hoping to expand, um, well, as many as we possibly can with the, <laughs> with the help of Radical Hope. Um, but it's, it's really, you can go online, you can send an email to Bring Change to Mind High School, um, and we have a, uh, we'll have a regional coordinator in, in the region soon. It's now being overseen by um, one of our staff people here in California, but also one in New York. Um, so we are looking to onboard as many schools in the Northeast as possible. Well, and word just gets around, obviously, right? I mean, the wait list, the fact the wait list just demonstrates. And I think that's a really positive thing. Can you imagine? I mean, the fact that students themselves, the young people are looking for this kind of help, I, I think is talk about progress. I mean, that's an enormous step. I mean, I, we, you know, shortly after one of the, um, you know, there was a series of school shootings a couple of years ago, there was a um, big demand, particularly in um, Virginia and New York, from high school students, you know, of their school districts saying, we need mental health programming in our classrooms. And, you know, the state, in response to that, both states actually ended up, and I think Florida was a third, mandating that the schools provide some kind of mental health support. And this varies state by state, as we know, in school district by school district. But back to the, your very first point about learned behavior, you know, is the students are demanding it or the, and the, the parents and the, and the schools have got to respond. And it really works, it works best when it is the students that want this. This is a peer-led club. I mean, Brooke and her, her friends um, started this club. They are moving it forward every day with the help of a faculty advisor. We always have to have a faculty advisor. Um, but it's the students that are reaching out to us. They're putting their, their names on the wait list. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. And as Brooke mentioned, you know, these really remarkable, empowered teens are then going to faculty and going to superintendents and writing letters to the paper and petitioning school boards and actually also bringing their learnings home to parents and grandparents and, and to other communities 
that they that they interact with. So this learning up is is really right, right. is really working. Brooke, what is your process for sort of week to week with the club and making sure that the rest of the school's engaged, that the administration knows what you're doing? You know, how, how does that all work? And and do you bring them in as you're thinking about activities, or do you explain to everybody what you how you actually run the club? Yeah. Um, so basically our club, you know, each club kind of has a different structure for their leadership, but we really let as many people want to be leaders at the moment. So we have a good amount and right now it's virtual. Um, so each week we'll kind of say who wants to lead and some person will step up, um, and they can really decide if they want it to be, you know, educational. We've had some really great, um, you know, in the past few weeks we had some girl give a presentation on imposter syndrome um someone give a presentation on anxiety in the brain um and you know some weeks it's not just education but it's an activity you know how can we be you know more active in the community around mental health things like that um and so yeah that's usually kind of each Wednesday we meet and we have our club meetings um, and yeah, that's kind of the basic structure, I guess. Um, usually the things with administration are around, like we want to have a speaker or we want to have a mural, um, in our school and different things like that. And that's when you have to go and meet with the leadership. But, um, yeah, other than that, it's, that's pretty much the structure. And you have students, um, ninth through 12th grade it goes all the way up. Yes. Okay. So well, how, talk to me a little bit, or and Pamela, you and I um, talked about this not that long ago, just about what happens when the students graduate. Is, your, is it your hope that they will either stay connected to the club itself or maybe bring the club to their college? Or what, what's, what comes for all of those folks after they're, after they're finished? We just started a mentor program. So the recent graduates from the last two years, many of them had been with Bring Change to Mind, you know, four or five years. So we started a mentor program so that those that graduate want to stay involved. Um, they, they can be part of, we have all these different committees. We have social media committees, we have um, activity committees, and they can either bring this to a workplace or their college if they're, they're going off to university. And But they can also, wherever they end up, be kind of a conduit to the high school club that they went to or one in the region where they have decided to go to university. So, you know, we, we do remain connected and it's our hope that, you know, our students will, will stay with us and graduate. Maybe they'll become board members one day. You know, we really want, um, you know, to really engage and empower our, our, our students to, to stay with us. And to bring this into their workplace one day, so right, it's, exactly yeah. into their lives. No, there's there's no question, and the, and the needs. It's like frankly, when students graduate from fraternities and sororities, that network and the connection and staying involved. And of course, we want them to be donors, don't we? <laughs> Eventually, yes, <laughs> we do. Yes. Do you feel, Pamela? You know, you're you're so determined and focused and, and optimistic. Do you see any big things on the horizon, you know, with where the field itself is going? Do you see any big breakthroughs, you know, just beyond the area of stigma where you're in? But um, or is there anything you'd like to see or that, you know, when you're, if you had a magic wand? 
I, I really would like to see more schools um, adopting these kind of programs. Um, you know, often there are a number of states that are now dictating um, curriculum to be put in place, which is fantastic, where you can have curriculum in a school or even, you know, certain, um, I don't know, segments of curriculum, of mental health curriculum into a health program, say. Um, that is like the, the, the most... I don't know, fertile ground for us to then have a mental health club, a brain changed mind club on campus. Um, so I'd love to see more of that. And I think it's been very interesting the past year to see the rise in telemedicine. Um, you know, so often it's just, it's really hard to, to take a day off or, you know, hours out of your day to get to a therapist. And if you need to see a therapist and telemedicine has just been absolutely incredible and i think it's here to stay yes it has to be it is and again like a lot of things right born out of you know inve invention of the mother of necessity or a baby mm -hmm. you, you get the uh, necessity is the mother of invention i should say the father of invention but no question about it i mean i think we all agree we've been spending way too much time on zoom and we've all been hostage to these scheduled calls and meetings both students and and um you know you know in our work place but there's i agree with you it's it is it has literally been a lifesaver for many many people we, we know that already yeah. um i'd ask both of you you know what would you say to any young person listening to this podcast who might be having a hard time i mean how would you suggest they approach a friend or a grown-up because i i know you get you see people struggling all the time what what's the best thing they can do I would say listen without judgment. Um, you know, reach out to someone if they reach out a number of times. Ask if if someone's doing okay. If they say yeah, you know the yeah, well, everything's good. Everything's good. Ask a number of times, and really, um, you don't have to be licensed. You don't have to have all the answers. Just being able to uh, to be a shoulder to someone, I think, is really really important. Um, I don't know. I would say, you know, come to our website, check out Bring Change to Mind. We have this really interesting um, PSA that we did. It's a conversation starter um, where you can, I don't know, just find some fun ways to open a conversation. Uh, but that, yeah, I, I just think really just being there for one another right now and that any, everyone needs to realize that they're not alone in this. The, the whole world is struggling right now. Being a listener, being a friend. Your PSAs are extraordinary. In fact, another wonderful organization called Minding Your Mind, which is based in um, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia, they, they were citing your PSAs to me, saying that they were have been a game changer. So you, I think you, what you just said is exactly right. And Brooke, I don't know if you want to add to that at all before we start to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would just, for if you, someone who needs help, um, I would just say that you are not alone and it's completely okay to not be okay. There are people here for you. Um, and just finding someone, a trusted adult, it could be a parent, you know, teacher, coach, guidance counselor, director, um, and reaching out for that help. You are loved um, and not alone. And for the person that is listening, just like Pamela said, listening is kind of the biggest um, and validating and um, yeah. No, here everybody's going through some level of severe withdrawal, friend withdrawal, 
right? Community withdrawal. Certainly, so many athletes from school. I've talked to student athletes who say they miss just the the structure and the routine and all these things that used to be really the foundation of their daily lives that have been pulled out from under them. So these simple gestures of just reaching out to friends and saying, "How are you?" That's a really good question. You know, those are really meaningful, meaningful gestures. So, um, well, on that note, I just want to thank both of you so much. We're very proud to be your partner. And we look forward to bringing Bring Change to Mind and everything that you're doing to as many kids around this country as possible. It's um, you're, you're extraordinary leaders. So thank you. And Pamela, especially thank you to you, as I said, for being so generous to me. Thank you. We're so grateful for this partnership and so grateful for all the support that you've provided. Truly. Thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to it many doing it you know, for a long time and in many more places. So to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Radical Hope Radio podcasts are available at any time at iTunes and Spotify and on Amazon Alexa. You can allow it in your skill settings. And for more information about the work that we're doing at Radical Hope, please visit our website at RadicalHopeFoundation.org. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Radical Hope underscore FDN. And until the next time, please stay connected, stay safe, and stay hopeful. And as Pamela and Brooke just said, you are not alone. Thank you, everybody.